0: The following message is brought to you by the Teaching and Preaching Ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. This morning we're going to be in Proverbs 16, verse number 18. Stand with me, if you would, as we read God's Word together this morning. If you're visiting with us on the inside of the service program, there's also a connection card that you can fill in. You'll have a chance to turn that in later in the service. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, verse number 18, Pride goeth before destruction. And an haughty spirit before a fall. This morning, Pastor is going to come and finish the sermon entitled, Our Thoughts About Ourselves. Thank you once again for joining us in worship at Ambassador Baptist Church as we are going through an incredibly important topic, and that's the subject of our thoughts. Uh, too many Christians attempt to change their behaviors without ever changing their thoughts and beliefs. ...in regards to those behaviors. And, and as we understand, as we've seen from the Word of God, this will never work. It's an exercise in futility. It's Romans chapter number 12 that tells us that we're transformed in our behaviors... ...through the renewing of our minds. In fact, changing our thoughts really is the key uh, to changing our behaviors. And yet what's so sad is I have the opportunity to do counseling... ...and as I work with different individuals through situations... Most Christians don't think about what they think about. It's just kind of something that happens passively. And so we're trying to take some time to really be proactive about the thoughts that we allow into our minds and the beliefs that are saturating our thinking. Uh, Today we're going to do part two of the message that we started last week, thoughts about ourselves. And uh, as you have probably already figured out by the theme, the text that we just read a moment ago, the most toxic element that can infect our thinking uh, is what the Bible refers to as pride, and uh, this morning we're going to look at the subject of pride, hopefully with some very fresh eyes, alright, because I, I know when I say that word, most of us think, ah, uh, yeah, I've got this arrogant coworker who kind of struggles with pride, and I remember this girl in high school, and she, she really struggled with pride, but you know... Uh, superior, a superiority complex is not really something that I have to wrestle through. And so we're going to kind of look at this subject of pride with some very fresh eyes. And, and my thought is by the time we walk out, I think most of us will have to say, Wow, I never realized how deeply pride influenced and affected my life. All right, And so that's kind of the goal of the heart this week. Going back to what we said last week, we were talking about identification and how there are facts in our lives and we can engage those facts we can think about those facts but then there's the process of identifying with those facts and that's where it gets dangerous when we negatively identify with the realities of our lives all of a sudden we what the bible refers to in proverbs we think in our heart that is we allow our mind our will our emotions our sense of self to literally merge with the situations And the circumstances around us. And the moment we allow those thoughts that are in our head to merge with our sense of identity, with our emotional state, the Bible says we are now thinking with our heart. We are literally, what we we use the term identifying, we are merging with those thoughts. And when we merge with thoughts that are inconsistent with who God says that we are and who his word declares us to be, I'm telling you what, we are heading down a road that is unhealthy and will literally crush us from the inside out. And so we talked a little bit about unhealthy identifications, but the reality is this, and I think this is our theme, pride happens when we identify with something other than God and his word. That process that we talked about last week, Anytime we allow our emotional state, our sense of self to get intermingled with the facts and the realities of our life, that that process that we've referred to as identification, the Bible word for it, is pride. When we negatively associate. When we negatively personalize the realities of life and we allow them to merge with our, our state of being, our sense of self, our emotional state. And so this morning we're going to look at three aspects of pride. If you've got your outline here, I hope this will be a help to you as we move through the lesson this morning. But let's just kick it off with the definition of pride, all right, a definition of pride. And I know for most of us, when we think about pride, our minds instantly goes to a sense of arrogance. I think that's the typical understanding of pride. A proudful person is something, someone who uh, is arrogant in the way they project themselves. They're people who use arrogant language. They, they, they feel like they're better than everybody else and they're superior to everybody else. And, and that tends to be the general idea of what we think of when we think of pride. And I will say this. That is one expression of pride. But it is not the sum total, the sum essence of what pride is holistically and so what we're going to do is we're going to broaden our understanding of what pride is in the truest sense because as long as we have an understanding of pride that pride is just acting like you're all that and better than everybody else and superior and and you use words and language and actions and you walk around you know like as as long as we relegate the definition of pride to that category many of us will be able to convince ourselves that we don't struggle with pride Because a lot of us aren't like that. And yet the same people who do not demonstrate that behavior are still really wrecked by pride. Because they do not have a full understanding, a theological perspective of what pride is in its fullest essence. And so what we're going to do today is I want to give you a very biblical theological perspective of pride in its holistic sense. And so let's just start with kind of a a dictionary definition and then we'll kind of move from there. Uh, Pride is an inordinate Or improper opinion of one's importance Alright, we'll start there Now when you read that, just a dictionary approach We tend to read that through the lens of Oh, an improper, an inordinate opinion of one's importance That must mean these people have an improper opinion Because they think they're more important than everybody else but by pure definition, it doesn't mean, this definition does not mean that it is an opinion that you are more important. It could also mean that you have an improper opinion of your importance and you believe yourself to be less important than everybody around you. See, the inordinate improper opinion is not just one of being you're feeling more important or more superior, or more arrogant. It can also be the person who feels less important, inadequate, self conscious, not good enough. Sometimes this can express itself in shyness. Let's keep going with a, just a, a tactical definition. You're going to go to the dictionary an inordinate or improper opinion of one's importance. This can go both ways. You think too much of yourself. You're, you think you're too important. It can also be you think you're not important enough. Both extremes can be the essence of pride. Number two, an inaccurate sense of one's identity, pride. When you have an inaccurate sense, an inaccurate view of who you are, when your identity, your self-esteem, your sense of self is inaccurate, whatever the inaccuracy is, is pride. Pride. It is the expression of pride You see if your identity stems from anything other than God His word and what his word declares you to be Anytime you find your sense of self your sense of identity outside of God and his word and his declaration That expression at its essence is pride Like we talked about last week when we find our sense of self, our sense of identity from anything other than God and His Word, and we start identifying with all these things around us, and we allow these thoughts to merge with our sense of self and our sense of identity and, and, and our emotional state. When that when that process begins to take place, when that merging takes place, when when we allow excuse me, when we allow those things to come together, the Bible starts to reveal that this is pride. Which leads us to the third theological definition. It is a sense of self derived from anything but God. And this is where it starts getting biblical and theological. You see, the Bible says pride goeth before destruction. In any of its in any of its expressions. It could be that you're walking around thinking you're better than everybody else. You're superior to everybody else. Your identity is anchored to a source that says, I'm better than that person. I'm better than those people at work. And your identity is anchored to something that says you're superior. And it allows, it kind of gives off an arrogant air about itself. You're better religiously. You're better at this thing, better. And all of a sudden you identify with it. Your sense of self comes from your belief that you're better. Your sense of self does not come from who God says you are. Your sense of self does not come from what God's word declares. Your sense of self does not come from the imperatives of the gospel. Your sense of self comes from something else that makes you feel superior or, on the other extreme, less important. Makes you feel like you're less than everybody else. You're not anchoring your sense of identity, your sense of self, your self-esteem there to what God says and what God's word declares. You're anchoring it to something that makes you feel inadequate. Insecure Self-conscious Both are pride And the Bible says pride goeth before destruction Commonly most of us understand that this realm over here is pride We understand that when we think we're all that in a bag of chips As sometimes some people will say We understand that that's pride But a lot of us forget that this realm over here A feeling inadequate and self-conscious and always bringing a sense of self into every situation always bringing a sense of self and what does this mean for me and what does this mean that, what are they thinking about me and what are they probably saying about me and, and how, are they, how are they interpreting my actions and what do they think of me that self-consciousness is just as much pride as the arrogant celebrity running around thinking he's superior to everybody else both extremes are absolutely proud they're pride they're proud it's a proudful expression And we need to understand this because what we're going to talk about today is it's vitally important that we understand all of this is pride. And it's not like this is kind of like better pride. And this is like over here, the arrogant pride is really bad, but this uh, self-conscious pride, it's better. They're both going to lead to destruction. They're both going to hurt you. They're both going to destroy you. So we see the definition of pride. 1 John chapter number 2, verse 16 says this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, notice this, the pride of life, notice this, is not of the Father. The pride of life is not of the Father. When we allow this pride to seep into our lives, this is not of God. When we allow our identity, our sense of self to come from anything but the Father, it's pride. When we allow anything but what the Father says in His Word and what the Father declares upon us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we allow anything other than what the Father declares to form our sense of identity... To create our sense of self, regardless if it causes us to be arrogant and just kind of overbearing and superior, that is not of the Father. It's pride. And whether we're self-conscious and insecure and always injecting our sense of self into circumstances and what people think of us and what they're probably saying about us and what, what they're doing and all these, we're injecting a sense of self into circumstances and situations. That is also just as, just, just as much pride is the arrogant superiority complex. Both pride. They're not of the pro- Father. They lead to the pride of life. So here's the statement. Both a superiority complex, and most of us know what a superiority complex is. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many, pe- how many of you know some people at work? Maybe you know some people in your family, and you're like, I'm not trying to judge, but I, if I had to guess, they probably have a superiority complex. At least in certain areas, you know And and if we're not careful, all of us have areas Maybe our whole life isn't manifested with a superiority complex But we have certain areas where we feel we're superior to somebody else Because of this thing or that thing So both superiority superiority complexes As well as inferiority complexes How many of us have met somebody with an inferiority complex? They're never good enough they never can do what they're supposed to do. They're always insecure and self-conscious and wondering what people are thinking about them and saying about them. And, and any time a situation or circumstance takes place, they, they have to interpret it and mingle it with what does that mean about them and what does that mean about their future and what does that mean about their fears and their, their, their wants. It, it, everything becomes about them. Every situation, every circumstance, every conversation, everything they see on TV, somehow they inject a sense of self into it. And so they can watch the news and all of a sudden as they're watching the news, it's not just a fact anymore. All of a sudden it causes, what's that mean about my future? And then what does that mean for my kid's future? And they just, they all of a sudden identify with it. They insert a sense of self. Their future, they merge with it, and their, their state of being and their emotional state merges with these facts, and now they are identifying, they're thinking in their heart something that is not consistent with what God says and with his, what His word declares, and that is pride. <laughs> Two extremes, but both pride just the same. Whether it manifests itself in the extreme of a superiority complex or whether it manifests itself in the other extreme of an, ins, you know, uh, uh, an inferiority complex, both are the definition of pride. It's simply injecting a sense of self into things that you are not to do that with. Getting a sense of who you are and what your life is Interpreting who you are, how you view yourself, how you see yourself, how you feel about yourself is all derived from something other than God and his declared word. When anything else but God and his declared word give you your sense of self and how you view yourself and how you feel about yourself, when anything other than God and his word stirs those things up, it's pride. Whether it makes you feel inferior, self-conscious, or arrogant, and superior both extremes are the essence of theological pride you are simply injecting a sense of self into all these things of life so the definition of pride now let's talk about for a moment the sources of pride where do, where does what are the things in our life that tend to stir up this pride if it is so toxic if god says that it it's pride that will cause destruction in our lives and, and hurt, our, hurt our lives and our marriages and our relationships and our, and our careers. If, if it is pride that will sabotage all these things, what often begin to be the sources of that pride? Now, let me caveat this for a second. If you maintain a definition of pride that says pride is just a superiority arrogance... Then this list that I'm about to talk about is not going to make any sense You're going to be like That doesn't cause me to be superior and arrogant But we're going to talk about a list And if you have an accurate definition of what pride is Injecting self into situations and circumstances of life Intermingling your sense of self and self-identity Into the facts, the realities of that which happens around you When you begin to understand that both of these extremes are pride Then what we talk about here in just a moment is going to be one that causes you to say, ah, okay, I see, this is, these are sources that commonly produce pride. Now, because of a lack of time, I cannot give an exhaustive list. I can't share every source of pride. So what I've sought to do is identify some that are common to the human condition, that are things that commonly cause us to become self-conscious, To interject our sense of self and and cause us to stir up a sense of who we are and how we view ourselves and how we feel about ourselves and things that commonly influence that reality of intermingling, of just associating and personalizing these things, all right? So, where does pride come from? And that is to say, where do we tend to derive our improper sense of self from? God, want, God declares that we should have a view of who we are, but that view of who we are, that perspective of who we are needs to come from God, his words, and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the only pure, accurate source of identity. Anything else in this world that influences you to see yourself in a certain way or view yourself in a certain way or feel a certain way about yourself that does not come from God, His Word, and the realities of the gospel is pride. So where, what sources outside of God, His Word, and the realities of the gospel, what other things attempt to stir up this unhealthy negative identification that leads to pride? What other things are common to the human condition that causes this? Where do we tend to get our inaccurate view of who we are? Whether it's arrogant superiority or whether it's just this in, inadequate self-conscious, you know, shyness. Now, I'm not saying all shyness is a result of pride, but I'm saying it is a result of pride. Where do we tend to secure negative feelings about ourselves from? Let's, let's look at some of the sources of unhealthy identification, some of the sources of pride here for a moment. A lot of these, if you ever have the opportunity of studying the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find that King Solomon addresses many of the things that we're about to talk about in a moment. And in the end, he goes through thing after thing after thing. And basically, his comment at the end of all of this is, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. All these things I was looking to find a sense of worth from. All of these things I was, I was looking to to find a sense of value, a sense of identity. He basically said they're all vain. They're all vanities. They're all empty. They can't support a proper view of yourself. And then he goes on and he finds that it's, it's God. And what he declares, that an identity can properly be found. But what are some things, what are some things that cause pride or an unhealthy identification with the facts and realities of life that cause our souls and our thoughts to merge with that sense of self, our emotional state, and it becomes who we are because we start thinking with our heart in a negative, unhealthy way rather than letting God define who we are. What, what, have, what are the things that most stir up this process in many of our lives? Number one, Past experiences. Past experiences. For many of us in this room, the thing that influences our view of who we are, our sense of self, our, our feelings about how we feel about ourselves, the things that we most often merge with, our identity, the thing that causes us to identify with realities is past experiences. Many of you allow things that happened in your past to define how you see yourself today. Something that happened before you were saved, something that happened 10 years ago, something that happened last year, something that happened last month, something that happened last week, something that happened yesterday, you allow some past experience to be that which stirs up how you view yourself how you see yourself, and how you feel about yourself. And that past experience has more power over your identity than the very words of God. You believe a past experience and the voice of your past experience. And you give that past experience so much power over how you see yourself and how you view yourself and how you feel about yourself. And yet at the same time, you'll ignore everything that God and his word and the declaration of the gospel declares about you. You ignore that and you allow the past experience to define your reality right here, right now. You allow that divorce to define who, how you see yourself today. You allow that addiction from the past to define how you see yourself today. You allow some failure in how you raised your kids to define how you view yourself today. You allow some failure in your career, some mistake you made at work to define how you feel about yourself today. You, you allow some past relationship a mistake that you made and you give that so much power and you give that so much influence and you allow that thing to have far more influence in how you see yourself and how you view yourself and how you feel about yourself. You allow the fact and the reality that you cannot change from your past to integrate, to mingle, to merge with the present, with the now, with walking in the spirit and allowing your focus on him, looking unto Jesus, the author of your finisher of your faith, you ignore that, and you allow past experiences to define how you see yourself today, how you view yourself today. You allow it to define your sense of value, your sense of worth, your self-esteem. You don't look to God to give you those things. You look to past experiences. I look to past experiences, and many of us are guilty of this giving more power to the past experiences than to the present power and words of Christ upon our lives right here, right now. That is the ultimate authority, and that needs to have the ultimate influence in how we view, how we see, and how we behave today. Past experiences tend to stir up pride. You say most of the times it stirs up pride and it makes us feel insecure and inferior and inadequate and self-conscious, and unworthy, and ashamed, and guilty, and it crushes us because we allow that to define us rather than allowing this to define our current realities. Past experiences are a common influence to pride. Causes us to inject a sense of self into thoughts and facts from our past. Let's give you another one. Our passionate emotions Just emotions A lot of us identify with our emotions We give our emotions far too much power We allow our emotional state To define how we see ourselves We allow our emotional state in this moment to define how we view ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, who we are and who we're not. We allow these fluttering emotions of life that come and that go and that are like the waves of the sea back and forth. Some days our feelings and emotions are great and sometimes they're not great. But I'm going to say this, while there is value to our emotions and while they can be a gift oftentimes for many Christians, they are the very thing that the enemy uses to sabotage our identity identity in Christ. They destroy us from the inside out. We start identifying rather than just letting the emotions be sitting there and saying, you know what? This is how I feel. It is a fact. It's a reality in my physiological state. But it is not a fact. In God's eternal economy. I am not going to allow a fluttering emotion define who I am. I'm not gonna let some negative emotion tell me who I am and how I should feel about myself. Because emotions are an incredible liar. Your emotions will lie to you about your relationships. Your emotions will lie to you about your family. Your emotions will lie to you about your marriage. Your emotions are incredible liars. And you need to cast them down like we talked about last week, casting down every imagination that exalted itself against the Almighty. Emotions are a wonderful thing when they're properly surrendered to God. But they can be a highly destructive thing that sabotages marriages and relationships, churches. When you allow them to drive your behavior, your sense of identity, your view of who you are, and how you should, you let your emotions try to tell you how you should feel about yourself, and you start, rather than just letting the emotions be a fact, a reality, you start merging with them, you start identifying with them, you start allowing your heart that is your will your emotional state your sense of self to merge with the thoughts of your emotion all of a sudden now it's who you are i'm going to say this your emotional state is not who you are you are not the sum total of your emotions you are the sum total of who god in heaven declares you to be that is who you are not what your emotions tell you you are cuz your emotions are going to tell you you're a failure as a father Your emotions are gonna tell you you're a nobody. Your emotions are going to tell you you'll never amount to anything. Nobody loves you. Nobody likes you. Nobody wants to be around you. Your spouse is just looking for an opportunity to get rid of you. Your boss can't wait to fire you. Their, your coworkers are talking about you behind your back. Your emotions will lie again and again and again and again. And it takes a mature Christian to say, I'm going to stop listening to the voices of my emotions and I'm going to start listening to the very real voice of God. And allow the voice of God to influence my reality, not the voice of emotion. Number three, the performances of life. A lot of us look to performances. How did we do at work? How did we do as a husband? How did we do as a mom? How did we do as a, a coworker? How did we do as an entrepreneur? How did we do as a child? And we allow the roles of our life and the performances in those roles as an athlete, whatever role we could take your job careers and start naming them by name. Your role as an electrician, your role as an attorney, your role as a manager, and you allow your performances within those roles, then to influence how you view yourself and how you see yourself and how you feel about yourself, and you merge your identity, you integrate those, that identity, you allow the performances of your life to merge with your sense of self, your sense of being, and then when that process happens, pride you just injected yourself into a performance can I say this you are not the sum total of your performances you are more you are a child of God and when God the Father looks at you when you are in Christ and his blood has been shed upon your account And you put your faith and trust in Him and Him alone to be your Savior. The Bible says you are cleansed. You are made righteous. You are made holy. You are made perfect according to Hebrews. And how God sees you is now how you need to see yourself. You say, well, don't I need to behave a certain way before I'm allowed to see myself that way? Can I just say this? It doesn't work that way, my friend. Uh, Neil Anderson said it this way, no individual can behave in a way that is inconsistent with their identity. That is to say, the routines of your behavior will flow out of who you believe yourself to be. That being said, you have to believe yourself to be who God says you are before you will act like God wants you to act. Too many Christians are trying to perform a certain way and act a certain way and behave a certain way so then they feel worthy enough to see themselves as God sees them. That's not the way it works. You have to see yourself as God sees you. You have to view yourself as God views you. You have to feel about yourself as God feels about you before you ever have a hope to act your way in to those Christ-honoring behaviors. It starts with what happens in your head, in your mind, in your soul. It starts with your identity. Too many Christians have it all backwards. Once I do all the right things and I behave in all the right ways and I act all the right ways, then I'll feel worthy. I'll feel good enough to see myself as God sees me. And you are practicing an exercise in futility that will fail you again and again and again and will heap on shame and will heap on guilt and will heap on feelings of inadequacy and feelings of not being enough. And you will live with that reality for the rest of your life. Because it is identity that influences action and performance, not performance that influences your ultimate sense of identity. You say, well, if you tell people that they're holy and they're righteous and you tell them that in the eyes of God they're perfect, they'll just start running amok. No, it is their only hope of conforming into the image of Christ is to first see themselves as God sees them to encourage them to view themselves as God views them in Christ and feel about themselves as God feels about them in Christ. Now, if you're not in Christ, you've not placed your faith and trust in Him and Him alone, this isn't your story. But for those of you who are in Christ, who've placed your faith and trust in Him and Him alone, this is how God sees you. This is who God declares you to be. And this is how you have the right, in Christ, to feel about who you are. You get your identity straight, and it is amazing to watch how your behaviors will begin to fall in line with that identity. But your identity will never fall in line with your behaviors. It starts with what happens in your mind. Too many of us look to our performances, our religious performance, to give us our sense of who we are. Our performance at work to give us our sense of who we are. Uh, Many of us look to our families, how we did as a mom, how we did as a dad, our performance as a parent to define who we are. Am I a good person? Am I a bad person? And we look to our performance as a parent. I was a good parent. I must be a good person. I was a bad parent. I must be a bad person. And we allow the performances of life to influence how we view ourselves, how we see ourselves, and how we feel about ourselves. When I'm saying this, it's pride. Regardless of that pride makes you feel better and superior to those around you or whether it makes you feel inadequate and ashamed and just self-conscious, both extremes, both expressions are both pride. Regardless, why? Because pride is just injecting a sense of self into anything other than God and who God's word declares you to be. Anything, getting your identity and your sense of self and sense of esteem from anything other than God is pride that will wreck your life. We don't look to ourselves, our past performances, our emotions, our experiences to tell us who we are. We look outside of ourselves for our identity. We look to God, who he declares us to be. We look to his word and what his word says us to be. We look to the gospel and what the gospel declares us to be. And that is where we get our sense of who we are. We get it from God, not past performances, not passionate emotions, not experiences in our lives. Next, not from the people around us. Your identity doesn't come from me as your pastor. Can I say this? It really doesn't give a flip what I think of you. What I think of you doesn't matter in your identity. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't have a good reputation and we should not have a good testimony. That's another discussion. We are talking about how you see yourself. We are talking about your identity. We're not talking about your testimony. We're not talking about having a good reputation. We're not talking about those things. We are talking about your your identity in Christ should not be influenced by what some religious person thinks of you, by what some boss thinks of you. Your identity in Christ should not waver with what your spouse thinks of you, with what your child thinks of you, what your parent thinks of you. If any of those people, your pastor... Your boss, your spouse, your child, your parent, your coworkers, church people. If any of those things can influence how you view yourself, you're living in pride. Yes, we need to have a good reputation. The Bible talks a lot of having a good testimony. But having a good testimony has nothing to do with how you view yourself. Testimony is how other people view you. And guess what? Your identity doesn't have to be anchored to your testimony. They're two very separate things. We'll have messages and we'll talk about having a right reputation and a right testimony that honors and glorifies Christ. It's a very real thing. It's a thing that God's grace wants to do in and through our lives. But the moment you anchor your testimony to your sense of identity, you're sabotaging yourself. They're two distinct things. And we need to separate them as such. The people around us cannot be the source of our identity. I'm thankful I'm not the source of Jenny's identity. Jenny's not the source of my identity. You're not the source of my identity and I'm not the source of your identity. What I do say or don't say or do, do or don't do shouldn't have any influence On how you view yourself, how you see yourself, and how you feel about yourself. Because only Christ should be given the power to define that reality in your life. And the moment you give that power to anybody else, a spouse, you give that power to a pastor, you give that power to a religious individual, you give that power to a boss, you give that power to a parent or to a child, you give that power to define who you are to anybody other than God, it is called idolatry. You're allowing something other than God to define how you view yourself. That, my friend, is idolatry. It's pride, and it leads to destruction. Now I realize some people are going to take this and, and they're going to abuse this. Go home. Pastor said, I don't, care. I don't have to care what you say, honey. I'm going to do my own thing, and you can just shut up. Okay. You need another message. (laughs) It's called how to not be a jerk. (laughs) There's a place for that. (laughs) We're talking about your identity right now. We are talking about how you view yourself. What influences how you view yourself before God? That is what we are talking about, okay? Just because God sees you as perfect and holy doesn't mean that you you can't make a fool out of yourself and ostracize everybody in your life. That wisdom will tell you. Wisdom will tell you there are proper ways to navigate our relationships in marriage and how to navigate our relationships at work. Wisdom will give us some wise principles to follow so that we can more glorify God in our workplaces, how we can more glorify God in our marriages. There is a place for that. But right now we're talking about your identity, how you think about yourself. That's what this message is about. Let me give you one last thing. Sources of pride. Things that cause us to think about ourselves in unhealthy, negative manners that cause us to identify with facts and realities outside of us and make it a part of who we are and how we see ourselves and how we view ourselves and how we feel about ourselves. Past experiences will often do it. It's, it's common to the human condition passionate emotions will tell us who we are and what we should be performances of life try to influence how we see ourselves and how we view ourselves people around us we allow here's what's crazy is oftentimes the people around you aren't thinking what you think they're thinking but you're so narcissistic and so full of pride you're making things up because you're proud you insert a sense of self into every conversation you overhear into every little piece of gossip, into every look or non-look, and you insert yourself in everything. You will walk through this lobby today, and you'll insert yourself into this person's look and that person's look, and this person said something to you in just the wrong way, and that person said something to you in, in, in not at all, and they just completely ignored you. And all of a sudden, every one of those little situations will cause you to think something about who you are. Pride. Arrogant. Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. You're a narcissist, and I'm a narcissist at times, and we're proud. Let's get over ourselves. People around you do not have the power to define you unless you let them. Stop letting them. Number five, one of the biggest one, the persistent lies of the enemy. This is where it gets crazy because oftentimes your sense of who you are, your sense of identity will not come from past experiences or emotions or performances of the people around you. Sometimes it's like they come out of nowhere. It's like, a, it's like why, do, why is it that I see myself this way and feel about myself this way and, and view myself this way? Where is this coming from? And it's like it doesn't come from anywhere. Can I say there is the attack of the enemy? ...that does not want you to believe who God says that you are. This is why the enemy is referred to as the father of lies. He wants to lie to you about who you are. He wants to lie to you about who you believe yourself to be. He wants to lie to you about how you should feel about yourself. He will tell you lie after lie after lie after lie. And according to Ephesians chapter number 6... It is the word of God that becomes that which we can fight, the the darts of the wicked and the lies of Satan. Sometimes it's just that persistent lies of the enemy will tell you this is who you are. This is how you should view yourself. This is how you should feel about yourself. This is what that person's saying about you. And this is what they really mean. And this is what they think of you. And, and this is what they believe you to be. And, and, and you should feel insecure. And you should feel self-conscious. And, and you should feel ashamed. And you, you, that's who you are, and the enemy will lie, 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 lie. This is who you are, who you are as a wife man, you're trying, you're, here you are and you're trying to, you know, do this thing or, or do that thing, and, and you're as a mother and you're trying to take care of your kids, you're trying to homeschool your kids, you're trying to serve your husband, you're trying to serve your spouse, you're trying to serve your wife, you're trying to serve your organization, and you, you're trying to do all these things, and the persistent lies of the enemy will say you're a failure. You're nothing. You're worthless. You're no good. Quit. You need to talk, do what we talked about last week. By faith, appropriate the grace that is yours to cast down every imagination and say, according to his word, it is not so. Every time Jesus was tempted, every time he was tempted, he went back to the word of God and fought it with God's word. That's what you have to do. No, Satan, that's not who I am. God's word says that I am complete in him. That all my satisfaction doesn't have to be found in a performance. It doesn't have to be found in experience. It doesn't have to be found in a person. All my satisfaction is mine already in Christ. And you squelch the fiery darts of the wicked and the lies of Satan. I'll just say it this way, and it might be in your notes Proud people just are full of themselves. Proud people are full of themselves. Sometimes they're full of their own arrogance and superiority, and sometimes they're full of their inadequacies and self-consciousness, and inado- you know all these ah. But both are full of themselves. They just in- they insert and inject a sense of self into like everything, and it's it's maddening how how often we try to insert our sense of self into everything, into the performance of our kids. We get our identity from how our child does in school. When they do good, we feel good about ourselves, <laughs> and when they do bad, we feel bad about ourselves. And when they when they do good at that baseball thing, we're like, "Yeah, I know all the parents are looking, and woo, we're, we're we're so awesome." And when our kids, you know, strike out, yeah, man, maybe I'm not maybe I'm not teaching them good enough, and maybe I'm not practicing with them, and I'm, I'm a horrible parent. Like, w- really? We've got to be careful with our kids, and here's why. Our kids are going to learn a lot about how to get their identity from our cues. What subtle cues do you give your children about where to find their identity? If the only place they find affirmation is on the ball field, they might start thinking that it's athletics is the source of identity. If the only time... They feel affirmed is when they come home with a good report card. They might start to believe the lie that their identity stems mainly from their performance. And you will now be training your child to derive their identity not from what God and his word has to say. But subtly and even unconsciously you'll start to create an environment where your kids are cultivated to think that it is an experience or in a performance, or a person called their parents. Whatever dad thinks of them, whatever mom thinks of them, that's what matters. And they learn to derive their identity from an individual. I'm just telling you what, this is dangerous territory for those of us who are parents and grandparents. We need, to, we need to help our children get more of their identity from God and His Word. How are you doing at emphasizing this with your kids? Do you sense that your kids get more affirmation on a ball field with a report card with what you say? Or do, are you feeding them their identity from the Word of God? This is important. It's one of the reasons me and you, we, we struggle the way we struggle, possibly, is because we, from a very young age, were taught to find our identity in a thousand things smaller than Jesus. Parents, it's your responsibility to steward the children that God brought into your life. Grandparents, if you have the opportunity to influence your kids, it's your responsibility. Help your kids find their identity in Jesus. You say, well, I'm not trying to get them to find their identity in sports, and I'm not trying to get them to find their identity. And I, None of us are trying to do this. It just happens by accident in the world in which we live unless we're not crowding out all those other voices with the word of God. Honey, this, I, I know you've got to be on your report card, but I want to just remind you, in Christ, this is who you are. I know you struck out and I know you lost the game today and I know it feels good to win and we should celebrate when we win but I want to remind you today you are no less because you struck out three times today than you would have been if you would have hit the home run game. Let me tell you what Jesus says about you. Help your children feel what it feels like and experience what, it, what, it should, what they should experience when they find their identity in Christ. Did The only time you're your daughter feels good is when she looks a certain way and she dresses a certain way. When your son acts a certain way or doesn't act a certain way. They, they <laughs> if you're not careful, you will unintentionally create an identity in your kids that's in a thousand other things, not bad things, just a thousand other things other than Jesus. And our responsibility as parents is to be that voice in their life that is constantly reinforcing the voice of God and his identity upon them. If you don't do it, I promise you nobody else is going to. Who else is reinforcing the right identity from the proper channels? If not you, who? Proud people are just full of themselves. Superior complex, superiority complex, inferiority complex. It doesn't matter which one. The the enemy doesn't care which side of the spectrum you fall on. As long as you're full of yourself. That's all that he cares about. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 says this. Thus saith the Lord... Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Some of you are wise. Some of you are smart. Some of you are highly intelligent. And God says, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Don't let him find his identity in his wisdom and his knowledge and what he understands. I might might know something about identity up here. The moment I allow what I know about this subject to define how I see myself, I'm living in pride. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. You're strong. You're an athlete. You're you're big and you've got muscles and you you make things happen in your world. Can I say this? God says, don't glory. Don't find your identification. Don't get arrogant. Don't get proud of the fact you you have might. You can get things done at work. You're a mover and a shaker. You know how to make money. You're mighty. Don't glory in that. Don't find your identity in that. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. You have money, you've got big houses and nice cars. That's awesome. There's nothing wrong with that fact. There's nothing wrong with that reality until you identify with it until your identity is anchored to how much money you make and all of a sudden you feel like more of a man when you're making more money and you feel like less of a man when you're making less money and all of a sudden when money goes away you feel inferior to some person who has more money and you feel superior around people with less money and you feel inferior around people with more money and all of a sudden before you know it your money is the driving force of how you view yourself and how you see yourself and men let me say this be careful because a lot of us in our quest to climb the corporate ladder we think we're just trying To provide for our families We tell ourselves That we just want to make A good life A better life for our children When in reality What is actually driving us Is an insecurity in our soul That feels like We're not enough Until we have more money And more toys And bigger houses And nicer cars And we are literally Being driven By an inadequate Self-consciousness That our soul is We need this Or else I won't feel Worthy Valuable and important let not the rich man glory in his riches but let him that glory you're going to glory in something you're going to celebrate something you're going to get excited about something you're going to enjoy something he says this glory in this that you understand and know me you want to glory in something glory in the fact that you know God that God knows you And that what God says about you is bigger than what your money says about you or what your might says about you or what your wisdom says about you, what your experiences say about you or your emotions say about you or your performances say about you. Let those voices fade into the void and let the voice of Almighty God be that which defines who you believe yourself to be. This is where liberty is found. This is where you get to a place where you can breathe. For the first time, you feel alive and liberated. No longer do you need this or need that to have an identity. All you need is Jesus. Real quickly, lastly, just the prescription of pride. I'm going to just real move through this. What, what is the prescription? It's humility. <laughs> that was a big surprise for a lot of us. James 4.10 says this, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. You say, what is humility? Humility is simply when you get your sense of identity and your sense of self from God and his word. That's, that's what humility is. Humility is not, oh, I'm not as good as so-and-so, and, and I'm not as popular as that person, and I'm not as rich. That's not that's not Humility. Humility is when you get your identity, you get your sense of self, you get your sense of worth from who God says that you are and who God says everybody else is. That's humility. You simply crowd out pride by finding your identity in Christ. Pride is not something you can fight off as much as it's something you crowd out. You just keep filling your heart and your spirit and your mind and your emotion. You keep filling it with that which... God says you are and what his word says you are and what God says they are and what God says they're, you know, what God's word says they are. And then you just let that keep filling you up, filling you up, filling you up. You allow that humility of God's identity and God's sense of self, uh, God who God says you are to fill you up. And all of a sudden the pride just goes away. Both extremes. I think they're going to throw this up on the screen. Humility is not a character trait to develop. Humility is not a character trait to develop It's a natural byproduct of regularly abiding in the presence of God My friend, pride is the result of identifying with something other than God and His Word Pride is the result of identifying with something other than God and His Word So here's the big takeaway, and we're going to be done Pride, I'm sorry, this People with humility People with humility don't think less of themselves People with humility don't think less of themselves I have humility, it's because I think less of myself. I'm a nobody at work and I'm a nobody at the church and I'm not as good as these people in my neighborhood and, and thinking less of yourself. That is, people with humility don't think less of themselves. People with humility, they just think about themselves less. That's it. They don't inject a sense of self into every situation, into every conversation, into every look, into every time somebody doesn't talk to them. They don't allow all the petty situations and circumstances of life to draw them in to find their identity in it. Some of you, you find your identity in every look that somebody gives you at church. Literally. How you feel about yourself and how you view yourself is based on how a pastor looks at you and how the deacon looks at you and how the connection group person looks at you and how the people and and literally your identity is formed on people's looks. Stop it. Stop it, stop it. It's not a great place to get your identity from. Your identity is formed on, on the whispers that you heard through the grapevine. And what that means about what they must think of you or not think about you. It. That's not a good place to get your identity from your sense of self, how you feel about yourself. Let the, you say, but this person really does, they're out to get me. It's a fact. That's great. Somebody might actually be out to get you. If you don't, if you don't identify with it, if you don't let it influence how you see yourself or view yourself or feel about yourself, you can just deal with the fact. You can hold the fact out here and say, hey, there's this kind of reality out here. You're not personally invested into it. You're not associated with it. It's just, it is what it is. And hey, let's engage it. Let's talk about it. But my sense of self is not anchored to what you say about this thing. But let's talk about it. Let's engage it. I'm not talking about sweeping things under the carpet. But you can tell when somebody has identified with it. They've identified with the content of that argument. They identified with that look or that decision. It's, it's amazing. I've been joking with my wife. God's been teaching a lot of this to us over the last couple of years. And I said, Man, our fights aren't as fun as they used to be. <laughs> we used to have some doozies. I mean, just we'd get into it, and, and we'd be, man, just be really passionate about our conversations, and, and I'm right. And Because here's what we were finding out we weren't actually fighting about the thing we were talking about, we were both fighting over our sense of identity. I needed her to see me and view me and feel about me in a certain way so I could prop out how I saw and view and felt about myself. I wasn't fighting about the thing. It wasn't actually about the toothpaste cover being left out. Can you believe it? It was about something else. See, we're not careful. The facts and the realities Become just an excuse that justifies our ability to fight about you reinforce my identity. Give me my worth. Define who I am in a way that I want to be defined, and so then it's like confusing because what are we fighting about? We've just come to a place where you know what when when we we realize whenever it starts getting heated. We're not actually fighting about what we think we're fighting about. We're fighting about something much deeper. I want her to affirm and give me my sense of worth. I want her to see me in a certain way so then I can prop up my ability to see myself in a certain way. And it just dissolves so quickly when you realize what's actually happening. And then when you do fight about something, it's just so tame and boring. No real emotion to it. It's... Alright, well, I guess that's it, you know that was, that was it I'm just telling you what This is big This is real big This affects churches It affects congregational relationships It affects marriages You've got to come to a place where you find your identity in Christ What you think about yourself Has massive, massive ramifications To how you will live Your life and interact With the people around you People with humility don't think less of themselves. They just think of themselves less. They don't interject themselves into every situation, into every circumstance, into every look, into every conversation, into every feeling, into every emotion. They have an ability to step back from it and not identify with it, not allow it to suck them into their, how they view themselves. That vortex of negativity. They're free. They're liberated. And you can be liberated